Well, good morning, family. It is uh, good to be with you. I'm uh, Ryan Latour. My, uh, I'm one of the pastor servant leaders here at Kettlebrook. And I, I was just thinking this last week that it's so good that we have men and women who are able to share from the scriptures outside of those who are on full time staff. Uh, someone was talking to me this last week and they said, man, that guy, Aaron, man, that guy who spoke, they didn't use his name, but they're like, he was so great. Right. And what would we say? Bodacious. Right. Remember that? But it is, it's so, it's such a blessing that we have godly men and women outside of the full-time staff who get to share from the scriptures. It's really an honor to walk alongside of all of you. So uh, two Saturdays ago, a friend of mine and I, we went fishing in West Bend. If you put up that image for us, Joe, uh, behind kind of the farmer's market, did anyone know you could fish in that river right there? So right across from the Milwaukee, uh, Moa, whatever it's called, the, the art museum. We weren't there and we, we got in and I, I kind of didn't know what to expect. I called my friend early that morning and asked how I should be dressing. So I had cool quick dry pants on and I had like Tiva sandals. But I still guess I didn't grasp the nature of what we were going to be doing. Because what I brought with me was I brought my fishing rod. That's essential, right? You got to have that if you want to catch fish. I brought a net with my rag because I'm a wuss. And I brought my uh, tackle box for fishing too. But I, I got there and I'm like... I'm looking, I'm above, I haven't kind of gone down yet to the river, and I'm like, there's no way that I can carry my net, my rig, my tackle box with me. I don't know what I was thinking. I wasn't. So I just left them there, right? And we started kind of by that, I don't know if they replaced that white bridge that kind of separates downtown across the river to the other side, but we started by that white bridge underneath there somewhere. And slowly but surely, we began to work our way down the river, not catching anything on my part, but I began to work my way down the river. And we were fishing until we got to the intersection where that new coffee shop, the hub is. You guys ever been there or know that? It's pretty good. I'd recommend it. Pretty cool. But so we decided to uh, take a little break and go get some coffee. So we get out of the river. We go get some coffee and we're not sitting inside because it would be like Noah flood too, because we're all drenched, right? We're sitting outside on the steps. And it was interesting. We're sitting out there on the steps and I'm like, Nate, man, that looks exactly like my fishing net. That is funny, right? I'm like, but that would be kind of bold to someone. I don't think that's my net. And so we just talk and carry on a little bit. And after a little bit, though, when we go back to fishing, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go check it out. I'm just going to check it out, make sure my stuff's still there. I've got my pole. Uh, I didn't leave that. But we go and we check it out and I look down and I'm like, huh. I could have swore I left my stuff here, but I didn't see it. I didn't see my net. I didn't see my tackle box. I did see this very expensive rag was still there, uh, but the rest of the stuff was gone. And I'm like, this is odd. And so I, I meander over to the car with the person who I saw kind of running briskly with what looked like my net. And I'm like, hey, uh, guys, have you? It's a youth. He's like 16 to 18 years old. And I'm intimidating. So I puffed my chest up. And I'm like, hey, guys, have you seen uh, uh, any fishing equipment? And he's like, oh, yeah, this this net. I got this net. I'm like, oh, great. That's mine. Yeah, I left it there. So I'm going to take that back. And then I think to myself, I ask him, how about a tackle box? Like, no, haven't seen that. And so I'm like, this is odd. But I go back to my fishing spot. I look down. Sure enough, it's still not there. It's not like appearing. And so I go back to the car and I notice that there's this towel. That looks like it has something wrapped up in it, right? And I'm like, 
putting two, two together, not super smart, but I'm like, my tackle box might be in there. And so I asked the guy, I, I didn't ask, I just told. I said, you know what, since you had my net, I'm going to look in your car and see if my tackle box is in this towel. Undo the towel and guess what's there? My tackle box. I'll just say I was mad. I was mad at that point, right? And had they told me the truth and not lied to me about the tackle box, I probably just would have had a little talk with them, let it go, whatever. But since they didn't, I did what I would want someone to do if that were my kid in that situation. I called the cops. Cops came over. We talked about the situation. They took my story. They took their story. They lied their way out of it. They got out of it. He's like, I'm not going to be able to, you know, prove this. I was like, they're lying to you, but whatever. You know, it's not worth it. But I was angry. I was angry that they stole my stuff. I was angry that they lied to me about it. I was angry that they got off scot-free knowing that they probably wouldn't learn a lesson and they'd probably just go and do the same thing again next time. Anger. It's a powerful emotion. And I want you to think about a time where you have been in a situation where someone else has made you angry. It's probably a long time ago. Like two hours. <laughs> right? It might have been this morning with kids or with spouse or with family members all the way here before you got here. It might have been last week at work. Someone took credit for someone. Someone said something. Someone one up, whatever it might have been. It might have been with a spouse recently, with a neighbor, with a friend. See, if we interact with people, which most of us do, it doesn't take long for this powerful emotion of anger to rear its head. The question is, how do we respond when it does? And the bigger question is, is do we respond differently because we say we're followers of Jesus? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at Jesus address this concept of anger, and we're going to see that anger has the power to either wreck relationships or lead to reconciliation of relationships. Okay, anger has the power to either wreck relationships or lead to the reconciliation of relationships. Let's turn to Matthew 5.16, please, with me. And if someone has that page number, I apologize, I did not find that. If they could shout that out on the Bibles behind the page. 683, thank you. Matthew chapter 5, page 683, if you're using one of the Bibles that are here. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 17 and read through 26. Verse 17, Jesus states, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anyone, again, who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. 
Do it while you're still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So in in verses 17 to 20, in short... To, to summarize, the, the Jewish people were, were God's chosen people in the Old Testament who he wanted to show what he was like to the, all the other nations with the hope that some of those nations and the people in those nations would choose to follow the one true God. And the means by which they showed what God was like was this system of laws that governed how they related to him and governed how they related to each other. And the law had different purposes. Uh, One of the purposes of the law was to reveal sin, right? We need a standard of right or wrong and a standard giver, so to speak, to know what's right and wrong and to know how to whether something is sin or not. The the law revealed sin. Uh, The law also restrained sin. Give you a practical example. If we didn't have speed limits, do you think you'd drive faster or slower? I would drive faster, right? You would probably too. It's the law. One of the purposes was to restrain sin. A third purpose of the law, though, was to um, lead them past themselves, knowing they could never perfectly keep it and point them to someone who would redeem sin. So the law revealed sin. It restrained sin and it led them past themselves to someone who would perfectly be able to redeem sin. And here, what Jesus is doing is he's kind of refuting the religious leaders who say, you're just like totally changing up everything. You're like coming to try and wipe out our law. And he's like, no, I'm not wiping it out. I've come to keep it perfectly and to fulfill it perfectly to the point where it can go from being written on tablets of stone, think the Ten Commandments, to Jesus empowering his followers and having the law written on their hearts. Does that make sense? Where it's not just the letter of the law that's being kept, but as he's going to go on and explain in this passage, it's also the deeper meaning, the heart level meaning of the law. So Jesus gives a deeper and a fuller expression and meaning to the law in essence. He keeps it perfectly, and then through faith in him, he empowers his people to live it out. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, he tells us that our righteousness needs to be greater than the Jewish religious leaders, the the scribes, those. See, why he's saying this is their righteousness was based on themselves. Self-righteousness, right? We cannot murder, as we're going to see later, and we're keeping the law. But I might think murderous thoughts towards a person, and we're okay. Right. They, they thought that relationship with God and righteousness was based on doing the right things and doing enough of them. But it didn't get past the letter of the law often. It didn't get to the heart level. And time and time again, Jesus is like, man, he calls them whitewashed tombs, which is not a compliment. He calls them blind guides. Don't use that at work. This is what he's saying, though, because it never got to their heart. Our righteousness can only be accomplished. We can only have righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, who is the only one who is truly righteous and will be righteous. We can't earn it. We can't get it. We can only trust in him who gives us his righteousness. And see, this is important because if we're self-righteous, this is going to lead to our anger wrecking relationships. But if we trust in his righteousness, This will lead to us being empowered to seek out reconciliation in relationships when anger rears its head. 
And Jesus in this first few verses is saying, guys, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. Look at verse 21. This makes sense. In the Old Testament, if you killed someone, you could be put to death. Leviticus and, and Exodus state this. Yet Jesus says we can't even murder in our hearts, so to speak. Even the anger that led to the murder in this case, like verbal slander, is judged by God. And just as, quote unquote, sinful as murder itself. And the end of verse 22 says, this kind of anger, this kind of anger is in danger of the fire of hell. That's not like PC language. It seems like God is pretty concerned with how we handle our anger. Because it has the ability to reflect Him and either wreck our relationships with each other or lead to reconciliation in relationships. See, we're, we're cut off in traffic. And people at the Jackson site call someone a moron. That was a joke. You can laugh. Or worse. Your coworker takes the credit and in your anger you think, what a jerk. There you go. Your spouse does something and in anger you give a glaring look back. If looks could kill the expression. Your kids disobey and in order to get them back in check, you raise your voice to punish them, to let them know who's boss. Your teammate screws up the game and you end up losing and you let them know it. See, our, just to be clear, anger isn't necessarily the problem. Let me say that again. Anger isn't necessarily the problem. Jesus got righteously, or we could say rightly, anger when he turned over the tables in the temple of the money changers, right? But what I also want you to remember is anger is an indicator. It's a secondary emotion, okay? Indicating that something else is going on beneath the surface in our hearts. Uh, Leon Setzer says it this way in his quote. He says, it's by now generally agreed upon that anger, as prevalent as it is in our species, is almost never a primary emotion. For underlying it are such core hurts as feeling disregarded, unimportant, accused, guilty, untrustworthy, devalued, rejected, powerless, and unlovable. And these feelings are capable of engendering considerable emotional pain. It's therefore understandable that so many of us might go to great lengths to find ways of distancing ourselves from them. This is important, family, because as long as we kind of focus on anger and think anger is the problem rather than a symptom of a deeper problem, we're going to keep trying to deal with our anger in our own strength, in our kind of self-righteousness, and get nowhere. We're not going to get anywhere because it's simply an indicator and an indicator that an emotion that's powerful that can either lead to us wrecking relationships or lead to us seeking to reconcile relationships. God is so concerned with how we handle our anger that in verse 24, if you look there, he tells someone to leave their animal sacrifice on the altar and go and be reconciled with their brother and sister in Christ. And I think you need to know a little bit of the context here in order to get how much this means. So if you put up this series of slides for me, Joe, please. So this is the Sermon on the Mount is commonly thought to have been given in Galilee. You see the yellow dot? I can't hear you, but I see you nodding. Okay, you see the yellow dot? Get the region of Galilee. Okay, now if you put up the next slide. Now you'll see where the dot on the bottom ends. That would be Jerusalem. Okay, and so if when this is being given about talked about in Galilee, if person is from Galilee, they would have to travel all the way down below that yellow dot to Jerusalem, which is thought to have been 80 miles in order to offer their sacrifice at the temple. 
Now, they didn't have zippy Honda Civics like I have back in this day. All right. So what that means is this could be up to a three week journey. So here's what I want you to imagine. You've made a three week up to three week, up to 80 mile journey from Galilee to Jerusalem here. You're at the point where you're going to offer your sacrifice. And what does God say? You can answer. Go back. And he says, go back. So the person who's offering the sacrifice is doing it in an act of what? Starts with W. Worship. But God is saying, the way I want you to W, worship me, is by being going back and being reconciled. Isn't that amazing? It would seem to insinuate that God is pretty concerned with how we handle our anger and with the restoration and reconciliation of relationships between those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And see, Jesus knows obviously murder is wrong. But even the anger that leads to that murder, even the anger that leads to the angry look or the angry word or the tirade of words that verbally kind of accuses or slanders or whatever it means, even that is just as wrong in God's eyes. A couple of weeks ago, I I set aside a kind of an extended period of time to pray and just listen to God. And one of the reasons I did that is because we try and regularly do that, those of us who are pastors here. But I also wanted to hear to God uh, regarding my anger because I had noticed during a spurt that I had been more easily angered with my kids. Now, I'll just tell you the truth. Stop taking allergy meds helped like 90%. I'm like Dr. Jekyll, whatever allergy med that is. I don't know why. I cannot handle that stuff. It changes me. But um, stop taking that help. But I also knew that I wanted to examine my heart and see why I was shorter with my kids, why I was getting angry easier with them and not like reconciling relationships. And by the way, when we get angry, it says more about us. It says more about me in my kids situation than than it does about them. Let me repeat that. When we get angry, it says more about us and something that's going on in our heart than anything that anyone's done. No one can make us angry. We can choose to kind of exercise anger in response to something that someone did. Okay, my kids are great. It's my heart that needs work. They're not perfect, because yours aren't either, but they're great kids, right? Anyways, what had been happening is my kids would not obey, and I'd have to ask several times, and they would still not obey, or they'd obey with a bad attitude. And I was thinking, seriously, this is not that hard. Just do what I say. Right? I'm just being honest. This is what I'm thinking. And in the midst of their disobedience, and there's also complaining. And so I'm trying to nip it the butt quickly and send them to their room, etc. But it necessarily didn't stop the chatter as they're on their way to their rooms. Again, this is only my situation, not yours. And so, you know, I would give a punishment. I'd say, no iPod for tomorrow. Or, you know, you got to stay in your room for 30 minutes. Or, Ben, you have to watch the Packers this year instead of the Vikings. And uh, none of the punishments were necessarily wrong. There were consequences to poor choices, which we have to do as parents, right? We have to allow our kids to feel the weight of their choices with consequences. But what was wrong was my heart in giving those consequences. Because I was feeling, you know what? I'm just tired of you making my life difficult. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make your life a little difficult. Again, I'm just being honest. 
And what I experienced, you know, is that New Testament grace stuff like eye for an eye. And what I experienced is that I would emotionally withdraw because I was angry at them for giving me grief. You know what I mean by that? Emotionally withdraw, kind of hold it, not go and seek reconciliation towards them, but in essence allow my anger to in that moment wreck the relationship. And what oftentimes I was like, you need to come apologize to me. And aren't our kids amazing? More amazing in some sense following God than us? Because oftentimes they would. But I should be the one pursuing them, discipling them, disciplining, which has the same root, teaching, training as discipling them, not in behavior management through punishment, but in (laughs) discipling them to use anger as an indicator to restore relationship. And see, that's all the difference. The aim of my heart makes the total difference. Because one aim says punish, use my anger, allow it to wreck relationship. Who cares? It's their fault. They need to change. The other says, (laughs) they're just like me, but I'm an adult who's supposed to be more emotionally mature. And I can use my anger as a tool to still give consequences, but then go and pursue relationship and restore relationship with them and reconcile relationship with them and you know why because that's exactly what god does with us and he never stops see our anger can be an emotion that leads to us either wrecking relationships or seeking to reconcile relationships and god was saying you know what ryan if a jewish person has to travel 80 miles and up to three weeks you can travel 20 feet you can travel 20 feet and again though in order to get beneath the surface of our anger, we need to think what's going on in our hearts that's leading us, what lie are we believing that's leading to that behavior? And what God revealed to me that day was I was feeling disrespected and out of control with my kids. Why does that still surprise me that I can't control my kids? I don't know, it does. But, and what I was believing about myself was that I had to be in control. And so in order to get back control, I I need to punish them because I had felt punished. But here's the deal, if that's true, Here's what that means. That means that Jesus' perfectly obedient, submitted life to the Father, His sufficient death on the cross that paid for your sin and mine when we place our trust in Him, His victory in resurrection which empowers us to live for Him here and now, His current prayer at the right hand of the Father right now for me and for us as family, what that means is all of that's not enough. That means He needs to do more the way I was living. Is that true? Does He need to do more? He doesn't need to do more. I was believing a lie. And what I need to believe is that he's in control of the entire universe, including me and my kids. What I need to believe is he's already punished our sin when he placed it all on his son, Jesus. What I need to believe is he's empowered me to yield rather than grasp that control. What I need to believe is he's empowered me to choose to use anger to lead to reconciling relationships rather than in the moment wreck them. And how do I know this? I know it through Jesus in his life. He fully submitted to the Father. He used his anger only in righteous ways. And even in his frustration with his disciples, he wasn't punishing, but continually pursuing them, even to the point where Peter, who he knew would deny him three times, he doesn't cast them off. He pursues him. See, and when I remember all of that, <laughs> I can remember that I don't need to be in control, because I'm really not anyways. I don't need to punish, but I can give consequences. And I need to pursue reconciliation so that as far as it depends upon me, I can be at peace in my relationships.
It's interesting, too, to, to note, if you go back to the text in verses 23 and 24, look, look at these verses again. The brother who is about to present his sacrifice is the one who's to go and seek out reconciliation with someone who has something against him. Isn't that interesting? The one who knows someone has something against him, the offender, so to speak, is supposed to go, leave his offering, and go and be reconciled. Now, there's other times later on in Matthew where Jesus will talk about conflict where we go to someone who has offended us or has sinned against us, right? But that's not the case here. Who in your life, who in your life might you figuratively need to leave your offering and go and pursue reconciliation with? Who is that? Who comes to mind when you think of someone who is angry with you? Who you've sinned against and you know it, but you haven't sought to reconcile that relationship. I think, too, it's important to understand why God places such a high premium on reconciling relationships. He he says things in the Gospels like, they will know you are Christians by your love for one another. He says things like, Father, may they be one like you and I are one so that the world will know that you have sent me. Our vertical relationships with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ point to, excuse me, horizontal relationships with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ point to our vertical relationship with God. It is the primary thing that people can see when we name ourselves followers of Jesus. It's the primary way that people will get an understanding of who God is, of what he's like. And so when we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, live out the kind of anger leading to wrecking relationships, it gives an inaccurate portrait of who our God is. It's also very important. It's also very important, though, because this is what God has done with us. See, the reason God calls us to this is because he wants us to reflect him to the world. But the reason he calls us to this is because this is what he's done with you and with me. I know for me and maybe some of you, for much of my life, I thumb my nose at God and and in many ways continue to do so. Letting him know in words spoken or in, in my own heart that I don't need him, that I'm fine on my own. You probably do the same. We don't need his forgiveness or his mercy or his strength or his empowering presence. We've got enough money. We don't need him. We have fine physical health. We don't need him. Our relationships aren't as bad as they could be, so we don't need him. We have a good job, so we don't need him. These are kind of, we're okay with us a lot of times, either big picture or in the everyday being our own leader of our own life. But yet, rather than thanking him for the innumerable spiritual and material blessings we have, every single day something happens, and we're like the offended brother who has something against God. We feel entitled rather than indebted, and all of this, you could say, could make God angry with our sin. And in his anger, he could say, go to your room forever, figuratively speaking. And yet, he placed all our anger, all our sins on the only sinless one, Jesus Christ. 
And he pursues relational reconciliation with you and with me. The offended (laughs) offers for our offenses to be atoned for through placing our faith in his son, Jesus. St. Clement of Alexandria had this to say. If you could put up that next slide for me, please. For the sake of each of us, he laid down his life, speaking of Jesus, with no less than the universe, and he demands of us in return our lives for the sake of each other. Family, our anger can either wreck our relationships or be an indicator that leads to us seeking reconciliation in relationships. What is God saying to you from this? I just want to encourage us. This has nothing to do necessarily with this, but life's too short not to take these words of Jesus seriously. Monday, some of you may have been here for a memorial service of a, of a dear brother, uh, a brother who followed Jesus well and hard, Kurt Halverson, whose life was seemingly cut short. Amazing man, amazing dad, amazing father. Pray for workers from the harvest. Sorry, that's what that is. Luke ten two. But I was in this memorial... And I was like, life's too short. Life's too short. We need to make the most of today. Quit being a doofus, Ryan. And, and don't, in your anger, allow it to wreck relationships, but allow it to be an indicator to do what God did and pursue reconciliation in them. Who is there in your life who God might be saying to you, You need to leave the offering at the altar and go and seek relational restoration so that anger would not wreck that or other relationships, but it would be an indicator leading to reconciling relationships. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for your son who perfectly fulfilled them and now through a faith in him empowers us by the spirit to more and progressively live them out. I pray that you would be speaking to each of us. I pray you'd speak to our hearts regarding where we're harboring and holding anger and bitterness and who that's against. And God, I pray that even this week that our family would have the courage, would take the step to, as far as it depends upon them, be at peace with that person and to go and pursue them in relational restoration in the way that you have, the way that you continue to, the way that you always will pursue us. And God's family said, 